that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, there's more in that passage than there is about prayer, and that's not that I'm going to deal with everything that's in the passage in case you're wondering why I think it's all to do with prayer. Prayer is something that every one of us can do, in particular, that every one of us who is a believer can do. People who aren't believers can pray too. Come to that later. But every one of us who is a believer can pray. And therefore, thinking in the context of assembly principles and the practices of the assembly, every single member of the assembly is able to pray. So we're not talking about a spiritual gift such as teaching or other ones that we read about that God in his grace has given selectively to individuals to perform certain roles in the church, as has been thought about on previous occasions. We're talking here about something that each one of us is able to do, something that none of us is deprived of doing. So we're not talking about something that you can say, well, this is all very interesting, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take in what Ronald has to say, but it's for so-and-so and it's for so-and-so because it's for you, just as it is for me. So each one of us can benefit, in particular in a direct way, from learning something about prayer. And every one of us is encouraged to pray. Specifically, in the verse we read, verse 8, um, Paul said, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Now, he was talking there about corporate prayer, and that was why he specifically said the men. But he's directing all of the men to pray in the assembly. And therefore, it's, a, in that sense, a universal uh, gift or, or blessing, rather, that we all have. Yet, it's not always easy, is it? Now, I listened in to counter on at least part of it. Um, I didn't listen in while you were all having your cakes and tea and so on. But I did listen in to counter for a little bit on <coughs> Friday night when it was being transmitted in YouTube. And for the sake of those that 
are older, like me, but didn't, Ian Lewis was talking about um, habits, developing good Christian habits. And I kind of joined Counter just as a survey was being put up. And uh, the way it works is each person that joins the survey votes, and the ones that are voted for most or the words that are put forward most appear bigger. And the habit that was most difficult to develop by a long shot was prayer. So the young folks were all saying that prayer was a difficult thing. And I think if I get it right, I should have asked Boya for this before, but I think if I got it right, the previous question was what's important and prayer had also been there. So developing, I'm getting a note, so I got that supposition right, thanks Boya. But the young folks were acknowledging quite openly that they found it difficult to develop a habit of good prayer. Now, just so that they're not discouraged, I think if we had done a survey in the same way for everybody at the meeting tonight, everybody in the assembly, we would likely have found a very similar thing. That we find it difficult to pray consistently and in a kind of organized type of way within our private prayer life, and often we find it difficult to pray in a corporate setting to pray publicly. But it is good to understand that it's not because we're not gifted to do it. It's because we find it difficult because it's not necessarily an easy habit to develop. So we'll think a bit more about that. We can all relate to the idea that prayer can be difficult. I suppose one of the first questions is, what is prayer? Now, I don't, I don't like to use um, ordinary dictionaries like the Oxford English Dictionary or the uh, Cambridge Dictionary to look up the meaning of biblical words because it doesn't always give you a theological, if you like, a, a proper godly definition. However, on this occasion, I chose to. So the Oxford English Dictionary defines prayer as a solemn, I've abbreviated it because it was to God or gods or any other person you worship, so I've, I've made it simpler. The Oxford English Dictionary says prayer is a solemn request to God, a supplication or thanksgiving addressed to God. The Cambridge Dictionary defines pray to be to speak to God either privately or in a religious ceremony in order to express love, admiration, or thanks, or in order to ask for something. I think of the two, I preferred the Cambridge definition. But these are, these are very procedural definitions. They, they just tell you about a conversation taking place, the purpose of which is to do something. They miss the depth of the emotion that prayer is. Of course, because they're not written from a Christian perspective. And there are not, numerous people have commented on prayer and described prayer. And I liked one that John Stott um, had, had said and recorded. And it's, it's about a specific aspect of prayer, but nonetheless, it's worth repeating. And John Stott says, prayer is not a means of forcing God or imposing our will on him. Neither is it a plea to bend God's will to ours, no. Prayer is above all a way to bend or submit our will to that of God's 
who knows what is best for us. So John Stott goes beyond the simple definition of prayer as being speaking to God and expressing uh, love, admiration, or thanks, or an order to ask for something. And he gets, I think, to the heart of the matter, which is that prayer is something in which we participate seeking God's will to take place in the world. And it's not so that we can have what we want. It's so that we might become aligned with God's will and see God's will coming forth. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because when we think of how the Lord taught his disciples to pray, that was a key component of what he taught them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, we should be thinking in terms of what is God's will and how can we interact with God by speaking with him in such a way that his will will be furthered. Not simply, what would I like? As if you were choosing a Christmas list or choosing from a menu in a restaurant. If we were to ask people in general, what do people do when they pray? They probably would say, oh, they ask for something to be given or something to happen that they want to happen. <coughs> but prayer is not really about asking <coughs> simply for what I want. It's really about beseeching God that his will will be done and the wonderful thing is that we seek to become aligned with God's will in our lives. And therefore, the more practiced we become at that, the more likely the things we ask for will be in God's will. So what are, what are the components of prayer? What are the aspects of prayer? Different types of um, prayers. Well, one obvious one is, is praise, worship, and adoration, where when we're praying, we're worshiping God, we're acknowledging who he is, and we're telling God how wonderful he is. Now, God doesn't need us to tell him what he's like. God knows perfectly well what he's like. And in fact, the reason we know what God is like is because he has told us through his word what he is like. But nonetheless, there is an aspect that is important in prayer that we come to God and we worship him and we adore him. And not simply by saying, Lord, you did this good thing for me. You're wonderful. It's by looking at the attributes of God and simply worshipping and praising God for who he is in and of himself. So, for example, we know that God is love. God is a God of love. You know, unlike other religions, well, other in religions, 
you know what I mean by that, unlike religions, where there might be a multiplicity of deities with no particular relationship among themselves, or others such as Islam, which is monotheistic and a single entity in the Godhead. God has eternally comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And these three characters of God love each other. So God has always experienced love. It's not something invented just for mankind. So we can think in things like that, and we can adore God, and we can worship God because of whom he is. And there are times when there's a very definite place for that, which we'll come to uh, when we think about corporate worship. There's another aspect that arises in prayer, which is one of confession. So, you know, John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Thinking of the believer who is confessing sins of a, a daily, for want of a better word, nature, as opposed to coming initially in repentance for their sin. So how do we confess these sins? Well, it's not by admitting to ourselves that we've done wrong, important though that is in the process, but it's not by saying, oh no, that was wrong. It's by coming to God in prayer and telling God that we've sinned and confessing to him that we have sinned. And of course, saying that we're sorry and looking for his forgiveness. Not the forgiveness of our sin in its entirety that we're assured of because of Christ's work on the cross, but the forgiveness that brings about a restoration of fellowship with God in a day-to-day -day sense. If we sin habitually, then it's very difficult to speak to God openly. That was Adam's problem and Eve's problem the day that they partook of the fruit. They went away and hid. They didn't want to speak to God. And each of us knows through the unfortunate experience of having failed in our Christian lives that it's not easy to go and speak to God when we've done something wrong unless we confess our sin to him. So confession is an important thing personally when we are praying that we pray to God to confess our sins to him. And we shouldn't, you know, uh, wait till the 31st of December and then, con then confess all the sins of 2023 or whatever. It's something that we should really do as soon as we become aware of the thing and understand that we've done wrong. That's the best time to do it. Now, we don't do that habitually, I don't think. But, and if you do, that's good. But I can speak personally and say that that's not something that I would claim to do habitually is the instant I've sinned to immediately confess it to God in prayer. But confession is an important aspect of prayer. And then thanksgiving is an important aspect of prayer. And we can come to God 
and we can give thanks. So, excuse me talking about something that I did, it's just that it's easy for me to remember, but in the prayer meeting, I gave thanks to the Lord for the fact that Alan has been saved and he wishes to be baptised. So we can be thankful for things. And, you know, uh, the hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. We could spend a lot of time in thanksgiving and prayer. I say to my own heart, I don't spend enough time in thanksgiving and prayer. I don't think any of us do really. We would be in danger of filling all our time thanking the Lord for his goodness for the last five minutes if we actually iterated every single blessing that the Lord had given to us. But we should live our lives with a spirit of thankfulness and come to God thankful for the blessings that we have enjoyed. The blessings might be rained upon, no pun intended, rained upon everybody in the world. The blessings of the seasons, everybody benefits from. But it's God who gives, so we should be thankful. We don't necessarily expect the unbeliever to be thankful to God for these things. But it's right and proper that we should be. But then we start to home in and we get to situations in our personal lives. And we can be very thankful for things that God has done in our lives, perhaps to do with our health as a kind of obvious example to choose, where God has blessed us with healing from some particular illness. But one of the things that we should always remember is that the thing that we should be thankful for all of the time, but I think we should be thankful for in prayer daily, and not just once a day, is our salvation. We should never really go a long time without thanking God, without thanking God for the salvation that we enjoy and the grace that he's shown to us in sending his son. And then we get on to, uh, fourthly, the category that generally would be called supplication, intercession, asking, and that's the category of prayer, the aspect of prayer that I think a lot of people generally would tend to think of as prayer, asking for things. It's one aspect. And when we are asking God for things, as I said earlier, we should seek to ask for things in his will. But we should be asking for things for the benefit of others. Our prayers ought not to be, Lord, I would like this, I would like that for my benefit so that I have got an easy life. Lord, I wish you'd come soon because I just don't like it here on earth anymore and I'd rather be away from it in glory. These are selfish prayers. So when we pray for things and ask for things, they shouldn't be selfish. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for blessings for ourselves in circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. That's not a categorical blanket ban, if you like, that I'm saying we should have on that. But it's much better and more satisfying 
when we're praying for other people and asking the Lord to help other people. These things that we can ask for other people, they may be what we perceive as positive, good things, or they may be things that are to do with some negative aspect of, of a person. And when we find ourselves praying for someone and asking the Lord to help them overcome some difficulty in their life that's to do with their character, I don't mean a difficulty because they've lost their job or something, but a difficulty because of the way they behave, because they, you know, rub everybody up the wrong way, because they just upset people, then we should always do so lovingly. And we should not do so thinking that we might not fall into that category. Because uh, beware the person who thinks he stands because he might well fall. So we should always remember that there but for God's grace go we and we should ask in these regards. Now sometimes our prayers might only focus on one aspect of these. So in an emergency situation, you know, you're not going to pray for 15 minutes if the purpose of your prayer is to avert a disaster right in front of your eyes. And, and the classically quoted example of that in Scripture is Nehemiah. You know, and I prayed to the Lord of heaven and said to the king, Nehemiah was asked why he was glum. And he had to give an answer by return right there and then. And Nehemiah, obviously, the thought went through his mind, I don't know what to say. Dare I tell the truth? Dare I tell the king why I'm sorry because of the state of Jerusalem? But Nehemiah knew that God could help him. And in the emergency situation, Nehemiah's prayer was not a lengthy one. And we read, and I prayed to the Lord of heaven, to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, it's almost as though Nehemiah's prayer was a concept in his mind that didn't even form words. But God understood. And God knew the situation. And he answered it. And Nehemiah found the words to answer the king. And not only to answer the king, but to end up leading a work that brought about the answer to his perplexed, perplexing problem, the neglected state of Jerusalem. How effective, an, how effective a prayer was that? Because he turned to God, and in his mind, he was adoring God and worshipping God, and he was asking God for help. And other times... You know, we might find that our prayers do encompass many of these things. I'm not saying that you focus in on one of these things when you're praying. I don't mean it that way. But at other times, and it's not a bad thing when we're praying privately at length or praying corporately that we ensure that we begin our prayers by just reminding ourselves as we pray of who God is and adoring him and worshipping him. 
And there's a widely used acronym. I think I first heard it um, when I was about 13, 14. Rod Sharp, who was an evangelist, um, was uh, teaching our Bible class. And that's one that you may well know, um, ACTS. And uh, it means adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which broadly is the four categories that I mentioned, conveniently given letters that fit into the word acts. And it's a useful way of remembering um, if, you're, if you're trying to structure your prayers along these lines. And the other key characteristic of prayer is we address God the Father and we pray in the name of God the Son. The Lord taught his disciples to pray. We read that this morning. I was going to have read from Matthew's gospel when I was thinking about it, but I'll not reread it. But the prayer is to our Father, to God the Father, who art in heaven. And when we look at John's gospel and the time the Lord spent with his disciples in the upper room, speaking after Judas had gone and then ultimately praying that wonderful prayer of his, that intercessory prayer as the great high priest before he would say, let's go out to Gethsemane. In John 14 to 16, frequently the Lord talks about the significance of praying in his name. There are of the order of half a dozen, I didn't make a note of the number, sorry, but there are order of half a dozen times that the Lord says, when you pray in my name, my Father will give it to you. Now that does not mean that we simply say, in Jesus' name, amen, and there's some formulaic, mystical words there that mean that anything we ask for is going to happen. That's not what the Lord meant. But the Lord was meaning that when we come before God conscious that what we're asking for, we're asking for with the blessing of the Lord. Then what we should be asking for should be things that we know will please him. That winds back to the John Stott quote. When we are seeking things. We should be seeking things that are in God's will. One of the most difficult things to understand in scripture that a man ever uttered was when the Son of God said yet not my will but thine be done. We can get caught up in all sorts of difficulties. If this, you know, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Was the Lord saying, well, if it's up to me, I don't want to do this in the way that, you know, a child might or any of us as adults might? He wasn't. He was there to do his father's will. But what he was saying was, it's not the easy option. 
what he was saying was this thing that I'm about to do is not the choice that makes life easy for me. Nonetheless, your will be done. And so when we pray in the name of of Jesus, in the name of the Son of God, then it should be with the same spirit as he did, that ultimately God's will should be done. There are one or two other aspects about prayer. We, we, we should be specific, um, and we shouldn't really in a single prayer, um, certainly in a corporate context, try to cover absolutely everything we could pray for. Otherwise, only one brother would speak a prayer meeting, and he would still be speaking when everybody else had gone home. And I don't just mean at half past eight on a Wednesday. You know, at midnight, if you are to pray for everything you could possibly pray for, then that would go on for a very long time. So our prayer ought to be specific, and we should think about how we pray and the things that we ask for um, in the sense of what God's will is. And some of the examples we see in Scripture uh, in Paul's uh, epistles, where in all his, in all his, his epistles, um, with the exception of Galatians, he, he talks about praying for the assemblies to whom he's writing. And he encourages them by saying that he prays for them because of, or he gives thanks to God in prayer because of something. And we can take lessons from some of these things. But if we think about things that we, that we should pray for, um, to give some examples, if a believer is going through some difficulties, really hard times, difficult times, not caused by themselves, through real testing or, or temptation. If we think about it, it doesn't really make sense to ask that God will be with them because we know he will be. So we're not asking God to be with them, but what really matters is that the saint in that situation will know that God's with them. So in that sense, there's a simple example of being specific in what we're praying for. Not just making a generalization, but being specific. And praying for individuals too. Now we're not always comfortable in a prayer meeting at mentioning somebody's name. It wouldn't be wise to pray for a fellow brother or sister's sin who was sitting in the meeting. That wouldn't, you know, some discretion is required. But when you're praying privately, you know, we can be very specific and we can pray for whatever the need is and just name the individual in private with the Lord. But we should be specific. And, you know, I wrote down Philippians 4, verses 5 and 7, which are well-known verses. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So praying brings about the peace of God. And when we need to pray for a troubled soul, 
some believer who's going through difficult times, we can pray with the confidence to know that God has revealed in Scripture, it's revealed through his word, that this is how he works. And it's his will that we should know peace. So therefore, we'll be praying in his will to pray for something like that. And I've only picked that as one example because there would just be too many to use as examples when we look at prayers of the sorts of things that, as I say, Paul prayed for or the things the Lord prayed for in the upper room. So, so trying to bring things to a practical way in closing. Private prayer. You know, all know the, the chorus, Daniel was a man of prayer. He prayed daily three times. And Daniel was in the habit of praying three times a day. It wasn't something he started in order to make a point rather than bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. It was the very fact that he had been praying that brought about the law that made it a requirement to only pray to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's habitual prayer, prayer life, was a well-developed thing. And it was a well-known thing. And he prayed three times each day, facing towards Jerusalem. And that, of course, is because when Solomon dedicated the temple, in his prayer to God, he said, let it be that when someone turns and faces to this place and prays to the God of heaven, you will hear them. So Daniel was mindful of that, that he was praying to God three times a day. So there is, there is an aspect of having a habit of prayer. Whether it's two times a day or three times a day or one time a day, you know, I, I, don't, think, I don't think Daniel's example was meant as an edict. But once a week would be too infrequent, I think. Once a day would be the minimum. And a couple of times a day, three times a day, well, that would be good. And developing a habit and doing it at a regular time and in a regular place helps develop the habit. So that's something that's important. But also, we should have a mind to pray anytime. Nehemiah didn't figuratively look at his watch and say, oh, no duty to pray to nine o'clock tonight. He prayed there and then, and his prayer was answered. So being prepared to pray at any time. And also, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, Paul didn't mean by that, pray absolutely every minute of the day, 24-7. But we should have a prayerful mind constantly, rejoicing and giving thanks in all circumstances. But when we come back to corporate prayer, you know, as we look through the New Testament, and we look through Acts, there are numerous occasions. So when the early church was formed and being was forming, 
One of the markers in Acts 2 verse 42 was that they devoted themselves to prayers. That was a characteristic. They collected together, they assembled together to pray. When John and Peter were released, the believers had been praying and John and Peter arrived and they all collectively prayed and they referred back in their prayer to Psalm 2, which of course had been part of the sermon that Peter had preached. But their prayer was biblically based. It was, if you like, a doctrinal prayer. They understood what God's purposes were and they were praying collectively, giving thanks that God's will was coming into being. It didn't happen to be very convenient for them personally. They were being hounded out the synagogues and all sorts of things. But they gave thanks in these <coughs> circumstances and they did it collectively. When Peter was imprisoned, then the angel came and, and released him from prison, the believers met together and prayed. And we read there about how they'd met together to pray. And then we've read in 1 Timothy how Paul instructed Timothy that in every place the men should pray. He also urged in verse 1 that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people and so on. And he gave guidance on the types of things to pray for. And he says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. So this is something that God has willed something that pleases God, that these prayers be made. And that in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then when he talks about the women, that they should adorn themselves in respectful apparel and also with good works for those who profess godliness and of course teaching that the sisters weren't going to take part audibly but he was not for one minute saying that they weren't to pray <coughs> now when we have um, meetings of the assembly for prayer we can have our specific <coughs> prayer meetings and you know Sunday at half past five and Wednesday at half past seven we collectively meet for prayer and where it's at all practicable, we should all be there. And we should come with a mindset that we're there to pray. <coughs> and look to pray. And can I encourage everybody, and you know, I can go back to a time in my life when I didn't habitually take part in prayer meetings. I'm not going to start by saying what age I was then, because that might suggest that I'm talking to one audience or the other, and I don't mean it that way. But certainly, you know, when I joined the assembly in Wishaw at 13 year old, I didn't start praying in every prayer meeting. And there was quite a time before I would say I habitually took part in prayer meetings <coughs> or on a Sunday morning. But could I encourage everybody that we're here when we meet for prayer to pray. And it is harder to do things like that the first time. Second time's a bit easier. 
It should never become trivially easy. If you get to your feet thinking you're just going through the motions and there is no sense of emotion in it, then, you know, that's wrong. But the hardest thing is convincing yourself that you can do it. So I'd encourage everybody, and say that kindly and graciously, because it is what Scripture says we should do. And the other times that prayer is made, as we kind of draw to a close, well, the breaking of bread is an obvious occasion when prayer is, is frequent. The number of brethren would pray. But there are also times, like Paul prayed three quarters of an hour ago. I'll pray in a moment or two. In this meeting. And in all of these times that we pray, there will be some context. So when we come together breaking bread, the purpose is that we're there to remember the Lord. So adoration and worship and praise and thanksgiving are going to be key characteristics of our prayer. See, it's not a place then to stand up and pray for missionaries by name or whoever and to start thinking about these things because we're there focused on the Lord. So yes, our prayers become contextualized by these things. But we can all do it. As I said at the beginning, it's not a gift. And one other thing that I thought worth saying is we have one person praying at a time, leading the assembled company in prayer. And if we think that's the case, then each of us listening should resonate with what's being prayed for. And we do, don't we? You know, I've often found myself on a Sunday morning thinking, I was just thinking the very same thing. That's how it should be. You know, if, if somebody gets up and says something that's completely different from what everybody else is thinking, that would be strange. But there is this aspect of corporate prayer where we're representing the assembled group, the assembly, in prayer to God. Well, when somebody says something, whether it's a grunt or whether it's an amen or whatever, it is good to do that. Now, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like doing a Facebook like so that the person who's praying gets a wee tick on their back and said, oh, People say amen more when, when I'm praying than they do when so-and-so's praying. Far, far, far from it. But it does indicate that collectively we're of one accord. So there's a purpose in doing it. You know, and we're not always the most vocal. Part of it's the culture that we've been brought up in. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's cold places. But, you know, we should do it more often and uh, encourage one another in that as well as it happens, but principally just the fellowship that comes with uh, realizing that what's being said is of a collective mind and a collective spirit. So prayer is a vital component of every Christian's life. Um, we need to train it to develop it. It's not something that just without trying, we'll become brilliant at it. We need to put effort into it. 
And corporate prayer is critical to assembly life. If the assembly doesn't get together to pray, then there's something missing somewhere. Why wouldn't we get together to speak to the sovereign God who created all things and who loves us and gave his son that he might adopt us into his family to bless us eternally. So with that thought, let's encourage ourselves to meet together for prayer consistently and persistently as well because it does require a bit of persistence that we might bring glory to God's name and in our private lives to just focus on how we can pray better because I'm sure each one of us knows that we can. The Lord prayed well and couldn't be bettered. The rest of us are not to that standard and we can work at it. And the great thing is God likes to hear us pray and he asks us to pray. So we should. So with that, let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we give thanks that we can come into your presence in prayer, that we can do so at any time, that we can do so because of the Lord Jesus and all that he has achieved, the making clear of a path to you. And we thank you that as we come to you in his name, praying for things that would please you and be in his will, seeking things that we would believe would be in that category, that the wonderful thing is that you answer our prayers. And Father, we do pray that we might be diligent. We pray that we might bring ourselves before your throne regularly, that we might do so humbly, but yet with boldness, confident in the knowledge that to all our prayers and praises, Christ adds his sweet perfume and love the censer raises their odours to consume. Bless us then, we would ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.